Welcome everybody to another week of Sports Talk with the Views from the 573 Podcast. This week's show is sponsored by Anchor, the best way to make a podcast. You guys will hear about them a little bit later on in the show. You can find us in our other channel, Entertainment from the 573 on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you guys get your podcasts. We just uploaded a couple episodes within the last few days. We just uploaded one today where we're talking about The Lion King, Crawl, Stuber, and gave our reaction to to the masterpiece and the madness that is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So you guys can go check that one out. And also, you can check out our Comic-Con recap and us talking about the MCU's face for Slate. We posted that on Saturday. Go check that one out as well. You can check out our YouTube channel at Podcast from the 573. You can listen to all the YouTube versions of the show there. And be sure to go subscribe to whichever platform is your preference. If it's on Apple Podcasts, give us a rating and review five, five stars, all that stuff. And with all that said, I am one of your co-hosts, Ryan McDaniel. Joining along by, side by me today, as always, is my fellow co-host, Peter Lewis. Peter, how you doing today? Very good. Uh, not a John Gruden liking Nathan Peterman type of way, but you know, just existing type of way. Oh uh, well, P- Peter, you are uh, you are the Nathan Peterman of the show. Oh, absolutely, just a disaster on every scale. <laughs> yes, uh, the, those comments. That's one way to lead a podcast off, right there. So on this week's show, we're going to be talking about a bunch of things. We're going to continue rolling on in our football previews this week. I got this wrong in the chat, but I'm getting it right right now. We are going to be talking about the NFC South, talking about all the stuff there. Michael Thomas getting hit a new deal there. We'll mention that along there with it. College football, we're doing the Big 12 this week. And then and a couple other stuff before that. We'll talk about some of the big stuff that's going on in the NFL. Training camps, basically every training camp has started. We'll talk about the injuries, suspensions, and a couple other stuff going around the league. Also talk about CJ McCollum getting his new deal. But before that, we're going to start off with the big number one topic today is the MLB trading deadline. Now that was today and this afternoon. And it was a really quiet deadline day, Peter. Except Zach Greinke getting traded to the Houston Astros. That was a big deal. Yeah, for most of the the day and just the days leading up to it, it was kind of just nothing crazy was going on we had of course had the uh toronto mets deal that happened i think saturday night i believe yeah but and uh apparently Pui got traded i just didn't even realize it because uh <laughs> well he's in the bottom of the nl central so it doesn't really matter what those teams are. well doing. he didn't realize it either he was in a brawl yeah well that was uh we'll touch on that at the end but yeah other than uh all those little pieces nothing too inspiring nothing that really changes the dynamic of the divisions in my opinion too much you know you know we the Granky going to houston deal that is really going to help them solidify their spot as being consensus world series favorites you add him to a rotation now with a verlander cole and wade miley they also acquired a couple relievers to add to their bullpen so they are looking to make a deep run. And also, listen, if Garrett Cole decides to test free agency this offseason, you got Granky for another year. And that probably was taken into consideration. Houston didn't have to give up any of their top pros any of their top two prospects or so. 
for this deal. So it was a good deal for them. Uh, a couple of teams that didn't make moves that were actually kind of surprising. The Yankees, of course, they got Edwin Encarnacion in June. And the Dodgers, they made a couple of minor moves, also including getting Jed Jerko from the Cardinals. But they were really quiet. And I know a couple of the names out there, Madison Bumgarner, Noah Syndergaard, a couple of big pitching names on the market. They did not get dealt, and I'm assuming the Dodgers were talking about getting one or one of those two. But neither of those teams made a move, and those two names didn't uh, go anywhere. Yeah, I, I would say, you know, when you're a team that's 70 and 39, I mean, it's not the worst thing in the world. However, come playoff time, when you have a couple teams that are going to be close to even with you, it can make a difference. And, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me if the World Series is Astros-Dodgers again. And if the Dodgers are getting, you know, a former Cy Young winner, albeit, you know, a decade ago at this point, it's still something to look at. The Yankees, I think they were going for Marcus Stroman. But, of course, the Blue Jays decided to troll baseball and Stroman by sending him to the Mets. <laughs> Which, could you imagine that reaction? You want out of Toronto. And they're like, okay, we're sending to you the Mets. It's like, ah, uh, I shouldn't have opened my mouth. Yeah. <laughs> but, again, the Blue Jays would probably never make that trade because, again, in-division trades. Which I always think are a stupid reason. If you're getting something in return, I don't care if it's going to somebody that I face a lot. If it means I can rebuild, fine. <laughs> But of course, but he got his wish. He did go to New York, just not the, uh, not the good one. Yeah, not the good one. <laughs> the uh, painful one. Yeah, a couple other things to take note of. A lot of teams added to their bullpen. The Nationals, they're in the hunt right now. That they have a bullpen that ranks last in the majors, five point nine three ERA. I'm not a good. I'm not a baseball guy, but I know that's bad. And <laughs> they added Daniel Hudson. They had Elias Hunter Strickland. That's going to help their bullpen a little bit. And the Braves also did that as to, uh, to uh, a, an NL East rival. Game Mark Melancon on Wednesday. They had a Chris Martin on Tuesday. And then they added Shane Green. Which Shane Green has had a good run here as a recent. He's got a 1.18 ERA. And uh, the Braves need a good bullpen. Because since July 1st, uh, we're basically... Uh, today's the last day of July that we're recording this, they ranked 27th in the MLB and ERA. And mm-hmm. they ranked bottom of pretty much every other category for bullpen. And they really need to add some guys like this. So this is good on them to add some guys that can help them in that bullpen, bullpen because they're going to have to make a run here. They're in the hunt too. But taking a look at some of the other teams, uh, one of the other players I didn't get traded was Zach Wheeler. So, the Mets keep those guys while adding a guy like Stroman, so that could help them down the line as well. They get a year and a half control of Stroman, I think, if I remember right. Mm-hmm. And then let's talk about, I guess, the big trade that happened. <laughs> it happened mid a yes, yes, Puig brawl. So you know, the Cleveland Indians, San Diego Padres, Cincinnati Reds, they complete a three-way trade. On Tuesday night, that sent Trevor Bauer to the Reds, Fran Mill, Reyes, Logan Allen, and Yasiel Puig, along with two minor leaguers, to the Indians. And the Indians are have made a run here as of recent. And they send prospect Taylor Trammell to the Padres. Uh, he's been inconsistent down to double A, but they really like all of his tools. 
so that trade's happened. And for the Reds, they get, I, I believe, a year and a half or two years of control of Trevor Bauer. And they add him to a pretty decent rotation right now, Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray, where they can kind of build around that. And, I mean, he's going from one good pitching staff with uh, Bieber, Clevinger, and Kluber to another. So, Peter, I guess what do you make of this trade? And I guess we can talk about Puig mid-brawl with the Pirates and all that stuff with that. Uh, from a red standpoint, it's kind of interesting because, especially when they made you know their trades during the offseason, it was kind of a signal that this is a team that wants to make a move. They still have the prospects behind them that they were counting on to, you know, maybe help this team. Yeah. But now I think they're putting a lot more pressure on, like, no, we we really need you to be good now. We kind of sold the whole farm for uh, Bauer. So it's not the end. Again, for the Reds, you know, you're seven out of the center right now. The cards are getting hot. The Cubs are – the Cubs and Brewers are kind of stabilizing. You're not going to do anything. You're not going to get the wild cards. So from that point of view, yeah. See what you can do. You're probably not going to prove the SI cover right like the Astros did. But, hey, you, you got some pieces moving forward here. So, it's not the worst that can happen. I know from a, a Reds fan standpoint, of course, with all the moves they made, it looks stupid. Yeah. But I think in the long run, especially in the division you're in, it's not the worst you can do. Uh, for the Central, the, the uh, AL Central, the Indians, this is the best thing they could have happened to them. Uh, Yasiel's still a bit of a head case, but still a good player, so I think you take the risk there. And yeah, you know, you're only three out in the central to the Twins. You're still two up in the uh, wild card itself. And the writing's on the wall. This is your last best chance to make it, and it doesn't look too good, but you're starting to make the moves that you need to. So I think all around it's a very even trade. That's going to help the Indians more this year. But I think long-term for the uh, Reds, just got to hope the prospects stay healthy and all your trades make, make something of it. So that's kind of where I am on that big one. Yeah, and that's pretty much uh, this and the Granky trade. Not a whole lot of big trades happen. A couple minor deals that we kind of talked about, but yeah. Uh, the, the Stroman one was kind of big, but yeah. again, it's been, it's been a slow... Like nothing, I don't think nothing's going to change dramatically. The Indians have a little more help now, but I can't see the standings tra- changing too dramatically. I mean, the only big thing is, uh, yeah, the Dodgers will still be fine. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's nothing too crazy. Yeah. So there's our talk about the MLB trade deadline. Next up, so Peter, the NBA has been crazy this offseason. And while... It, this isn't a crazy move. It's an interesting move. CJ McCollum, guard of the Portland Trailblazers, signed a three-year, $100 million extension through 2023-2024. He, his last deal was in 2016, so this an extension on him. It, he became eligible for it last Friday, or this Friday, I believe. And they also signed Damian Lillard to a huge extension this year, five years, $196 million Supermax. And both those players are going to make a combined $360 million over the next five years, which is a crazy amount of money. I think I saw on a list, like a graphic that ESPN had up, it's the second most money that a backcourt duo or any duo in the NBA is going to make. 
which is nuts. And Lillard is due in excess of fifty million of the next two seasons. This is uh, while those two players are good. I'm not doubting uh, Lillard's All Star status or McCollum and how good he is. It's just a whole lot of money with those two players in a Portland organization where like you're not really going to get free agents to come there and you're going to have to make trades and you got a whole lot of money tied into those and these two guys we're like you need to add somebody else now they drafted Nasir Little in the draft that's somebody if he can live up to his potential as a guy that can play defense but it can also do something on offense that's a really good pickup for Portland that can help them out but Portland just needs another guy and Nurkic is a good guy but I've been thinking about this for years now. They need somebody at power forward or small forward to help them out. If they still had a guy like the Marcus Aldridge there, this team would be a really dangerous team to look out for. But this is a whole lot of money to tie in a, a couple of players here, Peter. I don't, I don't care how good they are. This is a lot of money. Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, you're not... Portland's not really the sexiest place to go play in the West, especially when, you know, both Los Angeles teams are getting hot. Golden State's going to stay hot. So, yeah, it's definitely concerning, I would say. But, again, this is a backcourt that got you third place in the West last year. So Yeah, that's true. There's there's ups and downs to that, I would say. Yeah, uh, nobody's doubting how good they are together. It's just a whole lot of money. But we're we're in an era in the NBA where like it, it's not surprising to see these numbers anymore. So, yeah. Now I should ask because I'm still kind of relearning the NBA after giving up on it. Are these considered max deals or like ha- how does that well, work for Portland? Well, now? the Lillard deal is a super max deal. The okay. McCollum deal, I'm not quite sure what to call it. It is over a hundred million dollars, so I guess you can call it a max, but it's not a super max. It's a tier gotcha. below it. Now, if you were to sign two players to a super, like two max deals, does that kind of make it easier or harder to get you know good players around them? I would say if you were signing guys to max deals, it might be a little bit more easier. But if you guys, if you sign, like, guy, I think the only way you can sign a super max deal is if that player's been with you, and you you're able to. It's the same. It's this thing with the NBA with your bird rights. You can go over the cap if you've had the player's bird rights for a certain amount of years. So with the okay. so with a guy like Lillard, they can go over the cap, and signing Lillard doesn't affect them. Like they don't have to have a have them take a pay cut or anything like that. They can just take them to the cap. They get hit on the luxury tax. Though, yeah, right? they get hit on the luxury tax, but like you know, as far as like whether it's going to affect cap is like. Whether you're going to, have to give them a pay cut or anything like that, no, it's not going to affect them. But I, okay. as far as like giving a max, well, I think it, it also depends on the situation, what team you're talking about. If it's a team like like the Nets or like a Clippers or a Lakers, if you get two max guys, I think it would be if those two guys, let's use the Lakers for example, AD and LeBron, two max guys, people want to play with them, and it's LA, so. I think it would be somewhat easier in that situation to do it, but if you're in the market maybe like Portland, it's going to be more difficult. And you're going to have to do some tinkering around with your cap and 
you, you got to hope and pray that nobody in your organization, like the Lakers, messes up with their salary cap. So, that's my kind of thoughts on that. I, I think as far if you're in a situation like the Lakers, I think that's better off. Hmm. But, you know, it, it's another one of these deals that's a huge deal, and it's a guy from a comp. He hasn't made an all-star team, but he's still one of the best shooting guards in the entire league. And I'm not questioning his talent. I'm just questioning the amount of money that both he and Lillard are getting combined because it's a whole bunch for a market like yeah. Portland. So I guess that's where we're going to leave it off with that. Now let's talk about some of the news going around in the NFL. You know what, Peter? Let's start. Uh, let's talk about suspensions real quick. Since Matt's on a little bit of a sp- suspension right now. So, we had a couple big suspensions handed out last week. Golden Tate with the Giants. The Giants are already hurting on offense as it is. He's. It looks like he's going to be out for the first four games. That's huge. And then, Peter, this one ticked me off. Taylor Lewan is out for the first four games. And we just talked about the AFC South last week. <laughs> Which, of course, that happens after we talk about that division, but... I'm ticked off because apparently there's this whole situation where, like, it was, I don't think it was supposed to be, like, a PED. Like, that's when he, I think that's what he thought. And that he was going to, like, post his own polygraph on here to kind of, like, prove it. But it's looking like he's going to miss the first four games, which I freaking hate that. Uh, Like, we're, Cleveland week one, Indy week two, those are going to be two tough tests. And also, I guess to move off of those two suspensions, Derrick Henry, he's banged up a little bit. Calf situation, he's going to be out for two weeks. He's going to be the bell cow back with the Titans. you got to rest him. He had Tyreek Hill get a quad contusion. You just got him back. you got to make sure he's good to go. Mike Evans, he was caught off, but it was cramps. Nothing big there, but maybe still something to keep an eye on, keep him healthy. And then the big injury that happened, A.J. Green. Mm-hmm. And that this one's a killer for the Bengals. And we talked about the Bengals a few weeks ago when we talked about the North. The Bengals, while, still, while we thought they were probably going to end up finishing last in the North, they were going to be, we thought they were going to be a little bit competitive in this division. And now with A.J., now six to eight weeks ankle injury. He just had, he had the surgery yesterday, but I'm trying to I'm working out the timeline with this. So he's going to miss summer preseason, obviously, but he's going to miss probably what four, five games of the of the season. So you said they had the surgery yesterday, right? Yes. So let's see. The miracle, if it's only six weeks, he could potentially return for September 15th. But if it's the eight weeks, that might not be till uh, September 29th. And again, he won't be able to do conditioning. That's so. I mean, yeah, yeah, he might he might very well miss all of September. I would say be the safe bet. I think so too. I that that's the safest bet. And with A.J. Green and with the Bengals, with the new head coach, you don't want to rush anything. Especially with... I'm going to check their... I'm going to check for their bye week real quick. And also, for fantasy purposes, this is going to hurt. 
this is going to hurt a little bit because I've seen AJ Green very highly ranked in the fantasy ranking. So if you thought about taking AJ Green, you can probably still take him, but probably in the later round. But yeah, I just feel like yeah, it probably it'll probably be October before we see AJ back on the field. Yeah, so his bye week would be week nine. Yeah. Which would be the week of like November 2nd for the NFL. So yeah, if if he misses all September, he could come back for either home against Arizona at Baltimore, home for Jacksonville, home for Los Angeles. Not the greatest slate. Yeah, no, that that's not good. Oh man, that's tough for the Bengals. I mean, Arizona's defense isn't great. Baltimore's defense is taking a hit, so if you want to experiment for October 6th and 13th, but again, that means, yeah, who who knows what they do here. Yeah. And how long they keep them out. So, yeah, fancy advice. Uh, Take Tyler Boyd. Yeah, maybe make him maybe make him a bench. Yeah, that's probably the safest bet. I, would, I wouldn't really want to draft him with my, you know, wide receiver one or two and even flex i'd feel a little oh yeah no feel a little guilty but again will he fall that far that's kind of up to you i never he's never really been on my radar the past two three years because the prime's gone yeah it's really julio that we're looking at when we're taking take a look at that class of wide receivers i'm never taking julio again <laughs> three touchdowns you gotta be kidding he me. says he's gonna try to go for what three thousand yards this year or something like that. I don't know. It was something crazy. Yeah. Go for 300 catches. Make it better. Go for 300 touchdowns. There. <laughs> you probably won't. Become Jesus. Become God. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, but uh, before we move on to our NFL preview of the NFC South, let's talk about some of the holdouts real quick. So we actually got quite a few, and one got salt today, which we'll get to that in the NFC North. I said it again, NFC North, NFC South. I'm good. I, I guess I just want to talk about the North again, everybody. I don't know why. We want, we want to talk more about putting all our money on the Bears. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so we got a few holes here. Obviously, we talked about Zeke. Apparently, he's spending his time in Cabo. but <laughs> with Quote-unquote training. Yeah, which, I mean, I guess that's not a bad way to spin, spin your holdout is in Cabo, but... We, we got a few others. Julio is talking about wanting a new deal, although he's not holding out. He's not going to play the preseason. I mean, why should he? He's got nothing to prove. Nah. And then Melvin Gordon, we talked about that. He's still holding out. And Didn't Julio cry about a deal last year at this time? And didn't get fixed? You know what? It, what? it does it sounds vaguely familiar. I feel like the past three years he's always whining about a deal when he's you know, got money coming to begin with. I don't, I don't know, but he wants to be paid a uh, top wide receiver money. We'll talk about the newest top wide receiver that's been uh, paid best wide receiver money later. But yeah, him, Jadavion Clowney, he's refused to sign his franchise tender, so he's officially not under contract. So that's there. And then also Washington left tackle Trent Williams. He wants a new deal. He's not coming to camp either. Just a bunch of holdouts here, Peter. And also, Yannick... Uh, hold on, I want to get this last name right. I don't want to butcher it. Ngakwe. Yannick Ngakwe from the Jaguars. Really great edge rusher for them. He's holding out as well. Just a lot of big-time names out there on 
on these teams that are holding out. Peter, out of these names, uh, Elliot, Gordon, Nagakwe, Williams, or Clowney, which one, or Julio for that matter, which one do you think gets salt first? Uh, I feel like it's got to be Zeke. Because Gordon, you have Eckler back there who can be sufficient enough. And as long as Philip Rivers has uh, Allen, I think we're good. And, uh, of course, Hunter Henry. Yeah. Uh, Dallas, though, I mean, yeah, I guess you do have to pay Dak. And you're also tied up with trying to figure out Amari Cooper's situation. Yeah, so you got three volatile offensive playmakers there that kind of want money. I think you got to keep Dak and Cooper together because they really hit it off last yeah. year when he got traded. That was crazy. Zeke, I mean, that's the brunt of your offense. And uh, as as OJ Simpson said on Twitter, if you don't have Zeke there, you're not making the playoffs. So. Well, I think it's what we talked about a couple weeks ago, Peter, is I with that offensive line, I think you can put anyone back there and you'll be pretty good to go. Again, it could be a Steelers situation. They just re-signed uh, Alfred, Morris. Alfred Morris, who's, what, like 87 at this point? <laughs> Basically. But, again, remember, when you have a good offensive line, I mean, the Steelers a couple years ago, they were putting D'Angelo Williams, who was like 50. Yeah. And he was just running like Le'Veon was. Because, again, they can just make an opening as long as you're somewhat fast still. You can figure it out there. But, again, kind of similar to the Bell and Connor situation, Connor hasn't reached that elite level like Le'Veon was. Nah, so no. So, can Alfred Morris reach elite level, especially at his age, <laughs> like Zeke? I don't think no. so. I feel like with Zeke, get it done now because he's coming off the rookie deal. He justifies it. He's gonna. He's your best hope because Dak's still a wild card, even with Cooper maybe helping him out more. You know, here's the uh, and here's the thing, Zeke. He he's got another year left after this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy how long his rookie deal has been. Yeah, oh, yeah, it's insane. If I had to say anybody, I think I'm gonna go with Melvin. I, I think Chargers they want to get that done. They want to get him in camp because uh, the Chargers got a really good team this year, and they could potentially. Let's see. I know I, we're talking about the AFC West next week, so we're gonna be talking about them next week. I really. Think they're going to be good. I don't think anybody predicting the Chiefs right now. I think they need to slow it down a little bit. Uh, I think the Chargers have a legit chance to win the division. And getting Melvin back helps out a ton. And maybe they see that possibility and they get him back. But yeah, the Zeke thing, it, it, it's tough. Uh, man, I think you. I think out of all three of those. I think maybe lock up Dak first and then go lock up Cooper and then deal with Zeke. I think that's a way you deal with this. I, I mean, lock up your quarterback. Lock him up. Pay him, I guess, whatever he wants. It's going to be a certain number for a guy that's not an elite quarterback, but just good enough. And then for Cooper, we're going to talk about the Michael Thomas deal. What's Amari Cooper going to want? Yeah, I think going back to Zeke, I think he's 
I think this is the consequence of Le'Veon holding out for a whole year. Now people can start really trying it because they know in the end they'll get paid, whether it's with your team or a new team. Because even though Le'Veon didn't get the money he was looking for in Pittsburgh with the Jets, he still got money, like top-tier money. Yeah. So, I don't know. Maybe there's a real threat that Le- uh, Zeke will sit out the year. So, uh, fantasy-wise, uh, good luck with that. Fantasy is going to be a crap show with all that. My draft's on the 27th of August, so uh, yeah, I am I am. don't even know how I'm going to approach this year, especially if all that's going on. Yeah, if Zeke's not going to be there, oh man, uh, take Sa- Saquon number one. <laughs> even, even then, I mean, the Giants receiving core is so depleted, that line is not good. He might get murdered on the field. Oh man. He should just, you know, I don't know, go back to Penn State, get like a, I don't know, another minor, and who knows, something something, something ridiculous. Just play some Penn State football again. Uh, well, if that's the case, Peter, Penn State's going to win the championship. Oh, man. It's not even going to be close. <laughs> About to say, when you, when you survive a year of NFL linemen and linebackers, you, you'll survive anything in college. Oh, yeah. What's Bama going to do? <laughs> they ain't going to do nothing. <laughs> Is there a loophole in the NCAA system where Barkley can come back for like a year or two, just you know, set out his rookie deal with the Giants, and then you know, <laughs> resign somewhere else that can you know protect him? Oh man, I, I wish there were that would that would be that would be funny, but yeah, that that'll make fantasy crazy. My fantasy draft is on September first, and I, I'm not looking. I I can't. I hope Zeke gets his deal before then. That makes fantasy okay. easier. I don't have time to mock, and I I'm picking nine of ten, so it's gonna be fun. Oh man, uh, also I don't know what pick I'm picking at yet. It probably won't find out till draft night. I've been playing around with all the different scenarios. Oh man, but yeah, this is it's gonna be an interesting situation to keep tabs up. Who knows? Maybe some of these players will get new deals by the time we do the show next week. So I guess we'll find out a little bit later on. All right, so now we're going, moving on to our NFL preview. And who do we got this week? We got the NFC South. And that means we're going to be talking about the Saints. We're going to be talking about the Panthers, the Buccaneers. We're also going to be talking about the Falcons. But we're going to start off with the Saints first. And why are we starting off with the Saints? Well, Peter, they signed Michael Thomas today. He was holding out. And they signed him to the largest wide receiver deal in history. I believe it's the largest deal for a non-quarterback in league history, mm-hmm. which is kind of crazy to think about because you see how much these running backs are getting paid and some of these other wide receivers. He was just to make $1.15 million this year, Peter. That's really low for Thomas. And he gets a deal worth $100 million, includes $61 million in guaranteed money. And he's really he's proved it over these last few few years since he got drafted, since he came into the league and what, 2016? Yep, 2016 was his rookie year when he just... He lit the world on fire. In only 12 games started, 15 games played, he had 92 catches for over 1,100 yards and 9 touchdowns. That's His average was 12.4 yards. Yeah, that's nuts. And of course, 2017, 2018, pretty much close to that to begin yeah, with. Yeah, last... Except, uh, 
Yeah, last year one he caught one twenty five for mm-hmm. over fourteen hundred and nine touchdowns. Led the league. Yep, led the league. And let me tell you, his stats in the first three years, 321 catches, almost 4,000 yards, and 23 touchdowns. That's pretty good for a guy taking, what, the second round? and a lot On a rookie deal. Yeah, on a rookie deal. And not a lot of people were high on him in the draft, if I remember right. And the Saints took him, and he's oh, he, he's been great for him. And so he, he goes and signs with the Saints. He re-ups. He's ending his holdout. And he's going back there, and... The Saints need him, Peter. And last time we saw the Saints, uh, they were they were complaining. Well, they're, they're still complaining about pass interference against the Rams. Not only they're complaining, they're suing. A uh, judge in New Orleans is subpoenaing uh, Roger Goodell to uh, talk about the no call. Which I gotta say, <sighs> Saints fans, you're kind of moving up on the list of insufferable fan bases in the NFL. Well, Peter, at least that judge is doing a good deed with uh, with that with Goodell. <laughs> There's a lot of things you could subpoena him, but I don't, I don't know if you want to be the Patriots, Cowboys, and Steelers fan bases. They're just obnoxious. Oh, man, yeah. So the Saints, let's talk about them. Obviously, they made it to the NFC Championship last year. They fell short against the Rams. And they're coming back this year, another year of Drew Brees, Sean Payton, uh, knocking up Michael Thomas. They added a couple of pieces to the draft and get Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. Yet him to kind of help out with that secondary. Marshawn Lattimore, Marcus Williams. You still got some of your pieces there. You did lose Mark Ingram, but, he's, but he got Alvin Kamara back there to help out. And maybe, who knows? I think this may be a year where we could see a little bit more touches, maybe like 20, 21 touches, but he's still going to be <laughs> as impactful in the passing game as he ever was, I think. And this is – this Peter, I don't know if they're going to be as good as they were last year. Now, late last year, they hit – I don't know what happened to them. They hit the wall. And then the playoffs happened. You had the NFC, title, NFC Championship game. I don't, I don't know if they're going to end up being as good as they were last year, but I think they have a better chance of getting to the Super Bowl this year. Yeah, that's kind of where I am. I was convinced last year was the last best bet for them to go make a run. And I don't think the ship has sailed. They've definitely lost some pieces, but I st- well, they were 13-3 last year. Yeah. So yeah, maybe take off two wins i mean 11 5 especially in that division still good enough to make the playoffs yeah and i mean compared to everybody else i mean when we get to the west i mean there's some questions about the rams yeah so that's a that's a huge uh thing for all the nfc can the bears really make a move so i mean yeah there's a lot going there i mean of course the east is pretty much just philly right now and with the dallas maybe so yeah i think the ship has not sailed just yet i will say again this might be the last best year to do it but of course if drew bracy's always proven us wrong so maybe i'll say that come 2020 previews but i think just for the time being make it happen if you can yeah and i mean you got all the pieces there you have drew Brees, alvin Kamara, and michael thomas that's that's oh that's unfair it's it's unfair <laughs> How good that is. Yeah, if you're playing Madden with them, like, it's it's crazy. 
But yeah, the Saints that they're they're still going to be good. They're going to be good on offense still. It's just a matter of I don't think they're going to be as good as they were last year. That I just think it's going to be hard for them. Also, you kind of hope some of your other young pieces they drafted, like a guy like Marcus Davenport on the edge, kind of develops and forms a nice tag team there with Cameron Jordan. But, yeah, the Saints, I mean, they're still looking primed to make another good run in this upcoming season. So, who knows what happens down in the Big Easy. They did draft Eric McCoy. They, I think they, yeah, they lost Max Unger, so they need another center, and so they draft him. That they, they did add Latavius Murphy and Murray to the backfield. That helps. Jared Cook, you add him. Malcolm Brown, Mario Edwards. So you do add some pieces, kind of help there with the defense, with the offensive line, add some depth there. The Saints, they're still going to be good this year, everybody. And they're they're just not going to be as good as last year. It, it, Eleven to five is still really good, if that's what we're saying. But yeah, so that is the New Orleans Saints. I guess let's move on to the team in North Carolina, the Carolina Panthers. So the Panthers, the biggest question here is Peter, is Cam Newton. It always has been and always will be until he retires or he leaves the Panthers. Is the question of Cam Newton. And this year, the question mark is even bigger than ever because he, he was banked up a whole lot last year. And one of the things that kind of made you ponder, like, like what's going on here, is they drafted Will Greer, the quarterback from West Virginia, in the third round. Mm-hmm. And that made you scratch your head. It's like, what's going on here? Which is weird because he had the surgery in January. And the reports initially were, yeah, it's been a positive recovery. But again, that's kind of a panic move. Third third round pick, a quarterback, when you have a former MVP on your hand, that's something you can't really gloss over. Yeah. And they added some nice, they, they did add some nice pieces. Uh, the draft, they got Greer. They got Christian Miller, the edge rusher from Alabama. They also got Greg Little help out with the offensive line. Their first-round pick, Brian Burns. I really like him out of Florida State. He's going to help them out. They don't have Julius Peppers anymore. They're going to need some help there. And also, for NC, they they had a couple other guys on the the, the defensive line. Gerald McCoy, you get him from individual rival Tampa Bay. You also add Bruce Irvin. And on offense, you get Chris Hogan, which I don't think he's the same player as he was two, three years ago. But you add him in there to help with the wide receiver team, maybe add some depth. And add Matt Paradis to help out with offense line to man the center position. But you need one. You lost Ryan Khalil. He's not there anymore. But the big question is still, Cam, is he going to change his playing style? is Or is he going to be same old Cam? And I'll, well, listen, I'll tell you, adding some help on offense is going to help. Especially on the offensive line. Well, we can we can never underestimate uh, who he has behind him. Christian McCaffrey, probably the safest of all the players right now. Yeah. I mean, quiet does his job. Per- perfect NFL player, if you ask me, at this point in time, with all the deep as we got. Does his job really well. But yeah. But yeah, Cam is he's thir- he turned thirty in May. 
He's been in the league that long. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I just don't know. I mean, he almost has to change his playing style because, like most running backs and wide receivers, which is, you know, kind of his foot move, you, you can't do that in 30 for the most part, especially when you're throwing the ball. And, I mean, that shoulder just got ruined. So, he's a wild card. I mean, I'm not going to – I think he starts week one. I'm fairly certain that happens. I don't think he's 100% though. Well, and if that line if that line fails him again, I think we could see a disaster on our hands. And that's the question: How healthy is he going to be by the time Week One rolls around? Now, I am reading something to say it, it wouldn't be surprising if he was 100% by the preseason. But also, wouldn't be surprising if he wasn't 100% by the preseason. And the pro- and the problem with that is Cam. I love his passion and all. Yeah. But I think in a situation like this, at your age, that's kind of a it's kind of sketch city i think he almost will just start whether he should or not and i mean here's the thing even with your best offensive line you're gonna get hit a couple times mm-hmm. you're never gonna have an offensive line that's gonna be you know uh hit hitless so yeah yeah that that's a concern because this is a team if they have a newton that's just fine i'm not even saying mvp level just a fine cam newton with the weapons they could make a wild card run, I would say. Yeah. But if Newton misses any time, I think that's cause for concern. And you could have a team that might be picking in the top 10 in the NFL draft. Yeah, that's very possible. And who knows? There's a, This is a quarterback draft. And yes, they took Will Greer, but we've seen within the past couple of years that teams, they're not afraid to take really talented quarterbacks two consecutive years. We saw that with Arizona. We seen it with some other teams, and they could very well take one one of the top quarterbacks out there. You got Fromm, Tungavaloa, Herbert, Eason. You got tons tons of guys out there. And if this is the last year of Cam, you got options next year. Or otherwise, they could just wait and tank and get Trevor Lawrence. But yeah. that that's for a little bit further into the future to discuss. So that's the Carolina Panthers. This is it's an intriguing team. They did make some nice additions. But, again, it all hinges on number one, Cam Newton. So, moving on, let's talk about the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Peter, how are, are you in the mood for crab cakes? Oh, always. Crab cakes are delicious. Oh, you mean stolen crab cakes. <laughs> yeah, that's what and I mean. Same thing. Still, de- still delicious. Oh, man. So, yeah, the Tampa Bay. Will Jameis be, uh, will Jameis be in the uh, FSU cafeteria jumping on a table and yelling while we eat the crab cakes? Yes. Perfect. Yeah, he has to. So, and it seems like with a lot of these teams, we're talking about how big the quarterback is, and this is another team. Jameis Winston, it's kind of the same thing with Mariota. You've seen flashes of brilliance, but it hasn't been consistent. And this is the fifth year for him, in which case they can maybe move off of him and go and find a quarterback in the draft. And this is a big year for him. Like Mariota, he needs to prove. He's got the weapons. He's got really good weapons Chris Godwin, Mike Evans, O.J. Howard, those are really good targets to throw to. And in the backfield, I mean, give Ronald Jones a chance this year. I think they have something on their hands that can develop if they give him some uh, room. Because uh, who's, who's the other running back they always have had? I think the past, like, feels like a decade at this point. Oh, oh man. I 
that's a good question. <laughs> oh, Payne Barber. Yeah, no, no. It's an actually a new guy, I think. Oh, new guy? Well, I I, I don't uh, know. Oh no, yeah, sorry, it's Peyton. Okay. He's only twenty five. What is this? <laughs> when did that happen? Uh, I I I don't know. <laughs> All right, either way, his his numbers, uh, Peyton Barber's numbers jumped a bit last year, and of course that's because uh, oh yeah, that's who I was thinking. Who's the who's before them? Doug Martin. That's right. <laughs> he sucks. <laughs> He's John Gruden's problem now. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> it's got, oh, that, I cannot wait for the AFC West. You know what, Peter? And that's next week. But I, I've been talk, I've been thinking about this. What if we react each week since it's the Raiders and John Gruden to Hard Knocks? Oh man, oh. I, 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 Peter, there's potential there. Oh, there is. There is. I, I definitely think. I I'm definitely watching Hard Knocks this year. That that's going it's going to be too fun not to watch. For anybody that uh, did not cancel their HBO after Game of Thrones ended, uh, if you have a password, uh, your boy could use it. <laughs> yeah, we need to watch Hard Knocks. We need to see how crazy Groom gets to see if Nathan Peterman's going to be the starter. But I guess back to the yearly wild card at hand on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Yeah, yeah, Jameis. He's fr- He's maybe the most frustrating quarterback in the league because he has shown he can do some good things. But he is just such a... He's a problem child, and we knew that coming in. And unfortunately, this league did not mature him. It's just gonna... It's kind of a fact. Like, even even Cam kind of matured, but he's still Cam Newton. Yeah. Jameis Winston has always been Jameis Winston. He never really picked any skills up in that level, so... That's a concern if it's if he's what fifth year in the league, so he's twenty six, twenty five, yeah, somewhere around there, yeah. About to say it's kind of too late at that point, so you're kind of you're you're just stuck with that. You just got to hope for the best, which in that division, not the best case scenario. And you know, and, when you have when you're surrounded by three elite quarterbacks, and you know the big thing here is how is it going to work with the Bruce Arians? They hire him, they bring Arians out of retirement. How's that relationship going to work? That's going to be the big thing to keep an eye on. But that yeah, Bruce is he's an interesting one because he he had that time in Arizona. Well, I was just thinking he was the Steelers OC from what oh seven to eleven, I believe. So he was definitely there when Ben was just super problematic, and but Ben was doing fine. So maybe he can be the troubled quarterback whisperer for Jameis Winston. <laughs> Maybe so. You know, Peter, the Bucks did add some pieces this year to to their team. Obviously, in the draft, Devin White won the top, picks, top five pick there. Love him. He's going to make an impact on defense right away. Love him at LSU. They did add a couple other pieces. They needed help in the secondary. They did add some pieces there. Sean Bunting, Jamel Dean. They also added Kentrell, Kentrell Bryce. Along with uh, Mike Edwards from Kentucky, a couple other undrafted players, they need some players back there because the and the primary stars from last season, Justin Evans and Jordan Whitehead, they were part of a pass defense that ranked last in the league in passer rating, at yards per attempt, and completion percentage. That's not good. Yeah. 
so if you're the Bucks, you're hoping adding some young talent there and some new pieces there can kind of help you out there. But also, they added Matt's favorite Baltimore Raven ever, Brashad Perriman. <laughs> and they also added a couple interesting pieces on defense. Shaquille Barrett and Adamican Sue. Yeah. And so that that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. You know, the more I look at them from last year, even though they were 5-11... and 11, Half their games were decided by a touchdown or less. Yeah. From the looks of it. So there's pieces there. Obviously losing uh, Quan Alexander on defense, which was already a bad defense to begin with, is going to be a struggle. Yeah, that's going to hurt. Because Sue is a uh, Sue's an a-hole. We can say that. He should be a guy who Lions should never have gotten rid of him because he's a talented player, but he's just such a, he's such a problem. Yeah. Which is weird because at Nebraska, he was a pretty decent guy so i don't know what happened here but whatever so yeah as as is tradition this is the wild card of all wild cards for the nfl (laughs) yeah it is but i'm i'm not convinced again like last year last year is when i made the decision to get off the boat yeah i don't want to get on the boat again we haven't even mentioned the biggest loss for them this offseason ryan fitzpatrick oh (laughs) He's down to Miami. He's their problem now. <laughs> what a show that was last. Oh man, that was so, that was fun. <laughs> Just he's like, what's going on here? What is this? I hope he uh, starts looking more like a uh, a nineteen eighties coke dealer in Miami because last year he was. <laughs> that look was great. Uh, oh yeah, but it, so there's the Tampa Bay Bucks, and to wrap it all up. The Atlanta Falcons. And the Atlanta Falcons, they're getting some additions, but internally. You get Deion Jones back, you extend him. You needed him back. He was out for all last year. And he was a diff- he was a difference maker when he was on the field. So getting him back to that defense, which was banged up a lot last year. And you also bring back Keanu Neal, who was injured for a majority of the season last year. You bring those two young pieces back. That's only going to help the Falcons this year on defense. Again, they needed some help last year in the worst way. They just couldn't do nothing about it. But you bring those two pieces back. You know what you're getting on, getting at with offense there with Matt Ryan, Julio, Hooper. They did lose Tevin Coleman. You still have Devontae Freeman back there. You have Calvin Ridley in your second year there. You still have Sanu. He added a couple other pieces. Not, not big-time pieces, but... Kenyon Barner, Luke Stocker, Jamon Brown, James Carpenter, Claiborne. But I'll tell you what, I like what they did on on in the draft. They got a, some pieces that can help them out, especially on the offensive line. Chris Lindstrom, Kayla McGarry on the offensive line, both I expect are going to be contributing really early on. And that can only help them considering the explosive offense they have. And also Kendall Sheffield can help them out in the backfield. But yeah, the Falcons, they're another team that's going to be interesting to watch. And I guess, what are some thoughts about the Falcons right now as we're heading into the season? Uh, My big concern with them is going to be their schedule because it's pretty tough. They're going to have the Rams, Eagles, and Seahawks at home. And they had some road trips to Indy and Houston. So that's rough. Those are some big five games and... Of course, you know they have to go to New Orleans because of the uh, division. Yeah, 
yeah, so from a record standpoint, that might be a little little uh, big to get over. That's my big concern because I, I love the I do like the offense still. I'm fine with Matt Ryan. I think the elite days are gone, but yeah, he's got. I think he's gonna hit the Flacco stage of his career. Although it's kind of it's kind of being generous to call Joe Flacco elite at one point. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, with all the weapons, Julio, he still has got a year or two in him. Sanu, I think, is one of the more underrated wide receivers in the league. Ridley will do good. Freeman, I, uh, he's just hurt so much. It seems like now. Yeah, he, yeah, and not having Tim Coleman back there, that might hurt a little bit. Uh, I think my big concern, of course, feel, feels like with most of these teams in the division, is just in the defense. Well, the NFC South is the Big Twelve of the uh, NFL. Hey, we timed that right. Yeah, I know. Offense, I'm fine with defense. I have no idea what to expect, and with the with the Falcons, yeah, that's more so than ever. Yeah, but uh, you know, bring back Neil, bring back Jones when they were out. Oh yeah, don't don't run. There's a lot of good there compared to you know, Tampa Bay and yeah. uh, Carolina. But that's especially come playoff time, especially because they'll more likely be a wild card than anything. Do you really want to be facing one of the top teams with uh, that defense? Yeah, no. No, you don't want to. Because it's going to be a mess. <laughs> but there there are good things going on for the Falcons there. So this thing, this is gonna, this is an interesting division. Mm-hmm. Because for so long before the Saints kind of rose up and like, okay, this is kind of our division. For so many years, it was like you never know which, uh, who was going to win the division. One year it was going to be the Panthers. One year it was going to be the Bucks or the Saints. You know, it was always going to be one or the other was going to win the division. I think we know the the Saints are going to win this division. It's just like who's going to give them the most competition. That's the biggest thing, and it's really a crapshoot with all three of these teams because there's potential there, but that's the key word: potential. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of potential and a lot of potential disaster for each of these teams. Yeah. Worse for Carolina and Tampa than Atlanta, but the football gods were not kind to Atlanta last year, so who who knows what happens this year. Yeah, so that's going to be interesting to take a look at. So that's it for the AFC North and the AFC South, everybody. Thank goodness I don't have to worry about that next week. <laughs> next week... And the next couple weeks, we're going to be taking a look at the AFC West and the NFC West. We're going to continue to roll along here. So be on the lookout for those next week. And now, finally, we're wrapping it up with college football. It's Big 12 week. And the Big 12, it's a, it's an interesting division. Like you said, Peter, the, the NFC South and the Big 12 are arm-in-arm are arm right now. They... It's really familiar to look at these teams and like, yeah, pretty much the same things going on with these teams. Thank God most of the Big 12 teams were in where we would consider the Wild West to be. You know, your Texas, your Oklahoma, to some extent Kansas. Yeah. Yeah, because th- this is a shootout conference. I mean, I'm not really going to focus on defense for these teams that much as we talk about them because why should we? Yeah. I mean, what is it? Yeah, the best defense last year is apparently TCU and they were like 14th in the country. That's So nothing too inspiring. 
Yeah. Not bad, of course. Yeah. But still, look how TCU did last year. Yeah, not good. You, if, you're, if your offense ain't doing much in that conference, who cares? Yeah, so let's start off with the juggernaut here, Oklahoma. Of course, they had number one pick, Kyler Murray, as their quarterback last year. And who they get it to bring in? They bring in Jalen Hurts, who sat out last year at Alabama. And he really great record. His first year's at Bama before Tua took over. And I have no reason to doubt that Lincoln Riley will work his magic again here with Jalen Hurts. I have no reason to doubt him. Oh, especially with a stud like uh, Trey Sermon uh, Trey Sermon as running back behind there, as well as uh, throwing to Mikeel Jones, Keaty Lamb, and uh, A.D. Miller. Yeah, good lord. This man is going to be something else. And you just got to imagine... There's that fire under him after Tua took over in the national championship. Yeah. That he wants to face Bama in the national championship or a playoff game. Oh, man, that would be so much fun. That that it, It's definitely plausible. Well, let's be real. I mean, other than uh, Texas, that's all they have to worry about. Now, the, the funny thing about the Big 12 is there's only 10 teams. What a shocker. Yeah. And they do still have a championship game, so they're you're more likely they're not going to have to play Texas a second time in the season. Which last year went their way because they lost to Texas early in the season and then beat them in the Big 12 championship to uh, get the bid. Which, of course, they lost in the Orange Bowl to Bama. But even then, you know, 34-45, they put up a fight toward the end. Of course, deep again, defense is not the Big 12 strong suit. But they will score on you if need be. Yeah, and they and you can can you just imagine an angry Jalen Hurts with this offense going up against Bama's defense? Oh man, <laughs> I think Saban is going to be Saban will be more scared of a former quarterback than he is one of his former coaches at that point. <laughs> but yeah, Jalen Hurts and he's got a good offense coming back now. Again, they are losing Marquise Brown. That's going to hurt. And they did lose some talented players on the offensive line. Really, probably the best offensive line in the country last year to the NFL. So they also got built that back up. But they got some good pieces of offense. Like you said, like Trey Sermon. You bring back C.D. Lamb, which is going to be another guy out of Oklahoma that looks like he's going to be taken pretty high in the draft. They bring in they, – they also brought in a pretty good recruiting class. They bring in Spencer Rattler, who – I think probably some people thought might be competing for the number one job for Hertz came in there. Maybe Austin Kendall before he transferred. But you had them there. You bring in a great wide receiver team of Theo Weiss. Uh, There's another guy in Jadon Hazelwood, one the best wide receiver recruit in the country. So you add them there. They're just getting better on offense. They're just adding more talent as the years go by. And, yeah, an angry Jalen Hurts going against Alabama – even if it's in the semifinal game, that's going to be fun. Oh, that's going to be must-watch must, TV. Must-must-watch TV. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, the defense, you don't really know what you're going to get out of, especially with teams in the Big 12. Kenneth Murray, Ronnie Perkins are probably the two standouts for them. But, yeah, it, it's basically all the talk, really, of the Big 12 is offense. That's really mm-hmm. all it is. About to say, this team returns eight stars on defense, which, oh, that sounds good. Until you realize they gave 40 to Kansas last year. 
33 to Baylor, 46 to Texas Tech, 47 to Oklahoma State, and 56 to uh, Virginia Tech, or West Virginia, sorry. So, yeah, uh, not inspiring. But, again, that offense, of course, in those games outscored them, so take that how you will. And speaking of Oklahoma State, Peter, let's talk about them. So, they finished 7-6 last year. Mike Gundy, who I don't know if he's – I don't know if he's 40 still, but he he saying last year it energized him. It was obviously a disappointing campaign. They did uh, they did have a good record against teams in the I don't know. This is ESPN. I'm looking at. I'm not even gonna worry about it. But like they were very good. They did lose at home to Texas Tech by 24 and Iowa State. Laid a big fat egg at Kansas State. They lost in the final minute at Baylor. They also gave up 31 points to maybe the worst TCU offense of the Gary Patterson era and lost by seven. And so Oklahoma State, they're reeling. And, of course, they've lost a lot of talent within the last couple years. Mason Rudolph, James Washington, Marcel Aitman. And they're going to have to rely on a couple other guys, but they got an All-American wide receiver, Tylen Wallace, coming back. Mm -hmm. 86 passes for almost 1,500 yards. That's really great. It looks like Oklahoma State. They got another good wide receiver. We don't talk them. Uh, we don't talk about them enough for producing really good wide receivers. Obviously, you got Dez Washington. We'll have to see how he pans out. Wallace looks like he's going to be another guy. But the big thing here is finding who's going to be your quarterback. Yeah, last year uh, Taylor Cornelius. I don't think people realize he was a hell of a solid quarterback i mean yeah uh 485 attempts 288 completions for a 59.4 but nearly 4,000 yards 32 touchdowns and 13 interceptions that's not bad Mm-mm. that's pretty it's pretty under the radar for that uh for that conference. and for that and system gonna, yeah uh they're gonna bring in a looks like a true freshman uh spencer sanders as their starter looks like uh who was their backup yeah, Keandre Woodsy's not going to get the start, so that's interesting on Gundy's point of view. But uh, again, pretty high recruit, so maybe there's something there. Again, he's got a lot to throw to. I so. mean, Gun- Gundy can develop quarterbacks. Yeah, that that's a strength of his. So I'm not too worried. But yeah, actually, schedule's pretty good to start with. Oregon State, Mackenzie State, Tulsa. Then you're at Texas. So. You got some time to figure out what you can do with this kid. Yeah. And so, I guess moving on to TCU. Again, guys, we'll probably not go through the defenses because, I mean, I mean, Oklahoma State, Steve, their secondary is young. We'll just mention the defenses briefly here. And next week, we'll probably, yeah. well, it'll be more balanced because it's the SEC. Oh, yeah. And there's a lot of both sides on the balls for that conference. So, TCU... Seven and six, not get. We were high on TCU early on, and then they just—I I don't know what happened to them. That Ohio State game just took all the oomph out of them. Yeah, it did, and I think we were kind of expecting maybe they give him scare, and that was obviously the game Nick Bosa got hurt, and that was the last we saw of him in Ohio State jersey. And TCU get quarterback situation. Sean Robinson missed second half of the season with an injury, then transferred, and oh my. I'm just looking at, holy crap! There's a there's a lot of options at quarterback that they have. They got Kansas State transfer Alex Delton, more of a mobile quarterback there, or blue chip redshirt freshman Justin Rogers, 
or if eligible, Ohio State transfer Matthew Baldwin or incoming blue chipper Max Dugan. So, like, they, they can go in a plethora of ways there at quarterback. And uh, they really need one of these guys to be good for that offense to take off. Because last year's offense was a disappointment. It was, I think I, I said this when I was talking about Oklahoma State, it wasn't really, it's maybe been the worst TCU offense in the Gary Patterson era. I mean, his offenses are just not known to be trash. Mm-hmm. I mean, their offense has been known to consistently put up points. But, I mean, they it was a prolific start to the season for them. I mean, 42 points per game through the first three weeks, and then after that, it, it was a tailspin. But that they need one of those guys that on at quarterback to make the difference for them. They got some pieces on offense. You got explosive Jalen Rager out wide. The offensive line returned six of that players who started at least four games. So that's going to only help out on offense. And on defense, you do got a couple pieces there. Garrett Wallow, only returnee among the five players at linebacker who saw action. So you're hoping he can be the leader of that linebacking crew there. And, and they lose a couple pieces. They lost LJ Collier, who was drafted by the Seahawks. So you do lose a couple people there on defense. But again, it's all about the offense here with the Big 12. And you just got to hope this Gary Patterson offense can take off this year. Then, I guess moving on to the other team in Texas, the Texas Longhorns. Now, they were surprising last year, 10-4. and four. Yeah, for a team that opened losing to Maryland and then losing to Oklahoma State and West Virginia, and again, still good enough to make the uh, Big 12 championship because, you know, the system's rigged. Poor Big 10, the actual Big 10, had to, you know, work for years to get a 12 team, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, the surprising, but kind of in a weird way within what we expected, if that makes sense. They got lucky They got lucky in some good circumstances. I mean, beating Oklahoma in the Red River Rod was a feat. And this is a team that we just kept giving up on. I mean, we fought USC. They were going to get trounced. They ended up trouncing USC. It, it was a hell of a ride for Tom Herman's uh, second year there. I'll say that. Yeah, and you know what? Tom Herman, um, I hope this doesn't influence our picks this year. It might end up being if we pick Texas games, which no doubt we will. And four years as a head coach at Texas, he's 10-6 and six straight up as an underdog. He's 13-2-1 and one against the spread. As a one-possession favorite, he's 9-2 straight up and 7-3-1 against the spread. As a healthy favorite, however, he's 21-5 straight up. And then he's he eight seventeen and one against the spread. That I hope that doesn't influence some of our picks this year with Texas, but uh, like it, it seems like whenever there's a big game, whether it's conference or out of conference, it seems like Herman gets that team ready to play. And of course, it's let it's led by at quarterback Sam Ellinger. That dude's a great dual threat quarterback. He, he can run the ball. He can pass the ball. He. That, he, you don't want him to take too many hits per game because you want him to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. But the, the guy is 235 pounds, so he 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 has the weight to kind of keep up. You do lose a weapon there in Lil' Jordan Humphrey at wide receiver. You do bring back Colin Johnson there as your number one wide receiver. Devin DuVernay, 
You do bring back two all-conference linemen, Zach Shackleford, uh, Georgia State transfer, Parker Braun, and you bring, you have a really good rising sophomore, Keontae Ingram, who's a really good lead back for him. But it, here's the thing with Texas. It, sure, they, the wins over Oklahoma and Georgia were statements. They lost to Maryland at, mm-hmm. and beat Tulsa by seven. Uh, Kansas State by only five, Baylor by six, and Kansas by seven. And they also lost to Oklahoma State for the fourth straight year and was lucky to avoid losing Texas State for the second straight. <laughs> and so if you're Tom Harmon, you're hoping for more consistency there, and you're obviously hoping to take another big jump. But taking a big jump 10-4 last year, that was something they really needed to get people going in Austin. Yeah, they're going to have a very early test uh in September, they have LSU at home. So, uh, yep. Orjuan versus Herman. Oh, man, that's going to be fun. We know which one Matt's going to pick. <laughs> Go tag. Yeah, it's it's too easy. But, uh, yeah, so I guess that's Texas again, guys. We're, we're not, I don't even know if they have anything on Texas' defense, to be honest. Uh, they only have three starters returning. So, yeah, with that team last year. <laughs> Yeah, th- this is a team that screams, we need the offense to do everything. Uh, and I guess moving on, West Virginia. Oh, man. Oh, here's a collapse. <laughs> yeah, they, they lost a whole bunch of pieces of the NFL this past season. Yeah, and they have a first-year head coach, uh, Neil Brown. His previous experience is Troy, which, yeah, this is super, super rebuild. I mean, you lose Will Grier. That's huge. The offense, you only got three three guys coming back. Defense, you only got six, which we you know shouldn't mention. But yeah, when you when this whole division is or this whole conference is offense or bust, yeah, that's not a good start. Especially when you were only eight and four last year. Yeah, and you had high expectations last year to maybe do something. But mm-hmm. I will tell you, they do have some interesting pieces at quarterback. Who they brought Oklahoma's Austin Kendall. They also brought another transfer from Bowling Green. So, look for Austin Kendall probably start there at West Virginia. And uh, Neil Brown, he's he's a guy that likes the air raid. And, mm-hmm. I mean, that's fine with West Virginia. That's basically what they've been. But they do lose, lose big pieces in David Seals and Jennings. They lost some pieces there. So, if you're a West Virginia fan, hopefully they can build up there. On defense, they do bring they do have a couple nice pieces: Javani Stewart, Josh Norwood, Keith Washington Jr. And they brought in and they brought an Alabama transfer, Vandarius Cowan, down in alongside a couple good linebackers and Shay Campbell and Dylan Tonkery. But yeah, it's going to be an interesting year with West Virginia, losing a bunch of offensive weapons. And this is a team that's very going to be tough. Like I'm looking at ESPN right now. The FPI projection is 4.6 wins. And another projection is 6.5. <laughs> so, it, it's not looking good for West Virginia. And th- last year was the year to capitalize. Yeah, they won't be seeing country roads a lot this year. I can guarantee you that. It's going to be a very hard campaign for West Virginia. Probably their worst since joining the Big 12, I would I would wager. Yeah. Moving on to Baylor, of course you got head coach Matt Rule there, and Baylor was a surprise team last year. 
I mean, they've obviously they've had a, hit, a couple rough patches again with the Bryles situation and the mess with all that. Seven and six last year. That's that's actually really good as far as where Baylor was. About to say coming off a one and eleven season when you were seven six and sixteen. Yeah, that's a. I'll take that improvement any day of the week. Yeah, and th- they won a bowl game. They won the Texas Bowl over over Vanderbilt. You got Charlie Brewer there. You got a veteran supporting cast. And five of last year's top seven defensive linemen, nearly every linebacker, about two-thirds of the secondary, they're all coming back. And Baylor could be favored in eight to nine games this fall. It's not that hard to think about that. And, yeah, Matt Rule, it's, he's got that program going. It's, it's looking good. They did lose a couple pieces to the NFL last year. But looks like he's got that thing going. And if you're Baylor, I nothing but excitement there. Looking at projections, seven to eight wins. He shoot, I know I know seven if you're not taking the postseason into account, eight wins is a step up from getting six in the regular season. If you're mm-hmm. making that improvement, then that's a good sign for Baylor because Baylor was a powerhouse a few years ago with Bryles. Then we had that whole situation play out. Of course, they had that one eleven season they had last year, but who knows how this Baylor team will shape out. All right, moving on to Iowa State. Iowa State is interesting. Of course, you got Matt Campbell. is a hot name on the coaching market last offseason. He, he turned out a, bu- a bunch of offers. He's staying there. He's got some interesting pieces, including young standout quarterback, Brock Purdy, really good quarterback there. Is a guy that can grow in Campbell's system. But, and, yeah, you got a couple pieces there. Deshante Jones, Tariq Barton to kind of help him out. They do lose Akeem Butler to the NFL. That hurts. You add some more pieces there. But, and you know what? Iowa State is an interesting team, Peter, and they kept a lot. They've been a team that's had a lot of these top high-profile teams, especially in the Big 12, on the ropes. Yeah, they've been the more fun, inspirational team in the Big 12 the past, uh, I'd say, decade or so. Because they they upset Oklahoma State, what was it, 2011, when they were pretty much primed for a national championship appearance. Yeah, this is a surprisingly deadly team when you really look into it, especially with uh, what Campbell's been doing there. Uh, Yeah, of course, the big thing, you lost to Montgomery in the rushing game. Uh, but Brock, Brock Purdy, though, a very interesting uh, quarterback. Not not the most superb numbers passing, but he's definitely got some legs on him. So I think that's something you could uh, play with a bit more. You got uh, Jareel Brock as a freshman running back. Uh, Deshante Jones, I will say. Uh, keep, an, keep an eye on him, because I think with the absence of Butler, he's going to be the guy to step up next. You're going to need somebody, too. Yeah. But yeah, this is a this is usually the upset favorite. Uh, they have TCU at home. They have Oklahoma State at home. Texas at home. They do go at Oklahoma when both teams are coming off a bye. So that might be an interesting game. And that's toward the end of the year in, uh, on November 9th. So when things are really heating up in terms of uh, rankings, don't sleep on that matchup, especially if Oklahoma is undefeated at that point. Yep. They're a team not to take lightly. 
moving on to Texas Tech, of course, Cliff Kingsbury is their head coach last year. He's now with the Arizona Cardinals. So you, you hire you pro from within. Matt Wells. And, you know, Peter, the, another Big 12 team, this team has an interesting guy that was a freshman quarterback last year, Alan Bowman. Really good potential there. He, he showed out. He's got he, he's got some pieces there. And, yeah, Texas State went 5-7 and seven there. But if you can get Bowman going, if you – you can be what you can hope he's going to be. You got Jordan Love to go with him. There's some potential there. Of course, you're bringing back R.J. Turner, Seth Collins, T.J. Vasher, sophomore Keyshawn Carter uh, with the wide receivers. You bring back all-conference guard Jack Anderson. You got some pieces there for Texas Tech. And I'm looking at projections about six wins is where ESPN's projecting them. I think that's about right. I think six, seven is seven or eight's the ceiling for this team. I think, especially if you can, if you hope Bowman's is what you expect him to be. Uh, yeah, I'm not gonna lie. This is the team I always cheer against because of how they let Mike Leach go because uh, Craig James is a whiny soccer dad. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, there's there's pieces to work with here, especially in offense. So yeah, I, I think this is a potential bull team with six wins. I'm not gonna hope for it. I hope they go. I hope they lose every game. But hey, you know what? <laughs> Gotta win something. Yeah. Now moving on to Kansas State. This is an interesting situation, Peter. We're not talking about Bell yeah. Snyder. Gone again. Second retirement. I think this one will stick because he's like what 79. Oh uh, yeah, he's up there. And so they hire Chris Kyleman or Kleiman or whatever you want, how, how you pronounce it. He's coming in there to follow up the job Bill Snyder has done. And I don't know, Peter, Kansas State, it's going to be looking very tough for him now. They got veterans like junior quarterback Skylar Thompson, senior running backs, James Gilbert, Jordan Brown. They're both transfers, by the way. And you, bring in, you have senior wide receiver Dalton showing you got three multi-year stars on the offensive line and defense second star as many as nine to ten juniors or seniors. So mm-hmm. that's a start. But again, this you got a bunch of good teams up at the top, and I just don't know how good this Kansas State team is. This is a team that I think could be middle of the road, but again, it just doesn't really matter in this conference because it's just going to get eaten alive, it seems. And last year, I mean, offense wasn't really... That sexy last year, to be honest. A lot of very poorly scored games. Yeah. So for Kansas State, I think five wins is what you hope for, I think, to be honest. Yeah, that's... About to say, the upside is you make a bowl game with six wins, you hope. Well, of course, you're, you're a power five. Of course you'll make it with six and six. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I would. Uh, it's not gonna be a good year for uh, for Kalman for sure. Gonna be a growing pain, but it's a historically safe, stable program. I don't know how much of that is because of Snyder's name. We'll probably well, this will be a good test for the Kansas State program the next couple of years. Yeah, and then the final team, Kansas. Obviously, Les Miles comes out of retirement. He's now the coach. This team, and Kansas isn't projected to do very well. Peter, they're projected around two to three wins this year. I wonder how Les is going to take that. Is he going? To, how much grass is he going to eat? 
you know, with that name, he'll bring in a lot more better recruits. Yeah, for sure. Than I think past coaches. I mean, last year, only three wins again, but uh, about the same they had in the past three years combined. So, <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be a tough year for Les Miles there. He, we know how he coaches, but it's gonna be it's gonna be tough for them. They do have a really good running back in Puka Williams. He really did well last year, but for Kansas, uh, it's really rough for them. It it's hard to see anything going right with Kansas here in this first year. And if you're Kansas, yeah, you're hoping for less miles to bring in some some recruits, some guys that can help come in and improve this program. Because oh, man, it, the last time they were good was like oh seven. Yeah, when they were number two in the country for a game, which was just the scariest thing in the world. <laughs> that yeah, with a oh man, I a Kansas a University of Kansas with a good basketball team and a good football team. Oh man, can you can that state be more arrogant? The, <laughs> no, uh oh. Oh yeah, I forgot. Oh seven, they won the Orange Bowl against Virginia Tech. They ruined the. The good sports story. Thanks a lot, Kansas. Ah, oh, way to go, Kansas. Who who was the co- oh? What was that coach? He was a uh, a big man. I remember that, and he also was a uh, very vocal with his players. Oh, to I don't know. Oh, I can't remember the name. My first thought went to Charlie Weiss, but I was like, no, he was more recent. No, can't be that. Uh, no, it's it's not him. Ha oh, man, Mark Magino. Oh, oh man. He was a his Wikipedia page is like a controversy section of like six or seven little stories. Oh, no. uh, oh man, that. All right, I think that's where we're gonna end it off, and that's the end of the show. Big Twelve there. Next week we're gonna do the AFC West for the NFL. And then we're going to do the SEC, so everybody get prepared for 30 minutes in Tennessee and then 10 minutes of everybody else. I'm obviously joking about that. Well, mostly 30 minutes of Tennessee, 10 minutes of complaining about Bama. No, 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 Peter. We got to spread that out. Bama, uh, Florida, Georgia. Yeah, that's going. That's obviously going to be the big thing. And then the Pac-12, that's when we're going to have to get Matt back. Which, speaking of Herm... He was on ESPN this morning talking about Arizona State. Oh, man. Uh, if only Matt had known. This is the best timeline. It, yeah, it, it really is. For Matt. Herm, Herm Edwards is a college coach at America's Party School. <laughs> I cannot. You could not write that better. No, <laughs> no you can't. So, the SEC next week. AFC West next week. We'll see what... Comes along. Who knows if some of those holdouts we talked about earlier will be resolved by this time next week. So yeah, that's going to be the show this week. Very good show. So that'll do it for this edition of the Views from the Five Seven Three Podcast. Uh, Peter, right before we go, where can people find you at? As always, it is the actual Peter, which I was shocked to learn was still available in 2019. <laughs> uh, that that's a shock to me too. I'm surprised nobody's taken that. And then you can find me at RyanViews573. Follow our Twitter account, our Views Twitter account at Views from the 573 Podcast, where you can keep up with all the latest action from us. 
So that'll do it for this week's show, everybody. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. With all that said, we will talk to you guys next week.